I read an article this week by a guy named Kurt Thompson, really smart dude. Uh, he's a psychiatrist, he's a Christian, and the article is about uh, the effects uh, that video calls uh, have on our bodies. Uh, and the effects aren't um, uh, cough, it's not uh, fever, it's not body aches. Uh, the effects of uh, all these video calls is exhaustion. And what he talks about is that 85 to 90% of what we communicate is nonverbal. It's the intensity of our responses. It's our eye contact. It's our gestures. All of that combined is 85 to 90% of how we communicate. Only 10 to 15% is verbal. And so while we're on these video calls, we're working really hard to give these messages and to receive these messages. And our bodies usually aren't conscious of it. But what happens is at the end of the day, you just want to go to bed. What happens is that when it's your normal time to wake up, you can't seem to peel yourself out of bed. It's because your body is really, really, really tired. And that's one of the many ways that the pandemic, that the quarantine has made us exhausted. And that's why we're doing this series on rest. Uh, we've been talking about the last two weeks. Uh, this week is our third week. And the first week we talked about Mary and Martha. It's a story uh, where Jesus is being hosted for a meal by two of his friends. His two friends are sisters. It's Mary and it's Martha. And Martha greets Jesus. And she goes about being busy about food prep, creating just the right ambiance. Uh, meanwhile, her sister Mary is just sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is able to detect that Martha, while she's so busy serving that she uh, really is despising her sister, that she's anxious, that she's troubled, and Jesus calls her out for it. And he says that Mary has chosen the better posture. And then last week, uh, we saw that we have a choice. We can either take on Jesus' burden uh, that's easy and light, or we can take on the burdens that make us weary and heavy laden. And so this week, we are going a little bit deeper into what does it mean to sit and listen like Mary? What uh, does it mean to take on the easy and light burden of Jesus? And we're going to look at that by uh, looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Let's read it together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here you have it. You've got another fork in the road. You can either be conformed to the world or you can be transformed by God. See, being a Christian, there's no way that it's static. We're on a trajectory. We're either on a trajectory of being conformed to the world or we're on a trajectory to being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. And that's what it means to be transformed. And that either this or that has been a pattern for it, hasn't it? You've got the negative the last few weeks. The negative is Martha. The negative is the burden that leaves us weary and heavy laden. The negative this week is being conformed to the world. Then you've got the positive. First week, it was Mary. Last week, it was the burden of Jesus that is easy and light. And this week, it's being transformed. And so the natural question is, how do you move from the negative side to the positive side? How do you move from Martha, weary, heavy, laden, conformed to the world, to Mary, the burden is easy and light, and to being transformed by God? 
Well, the answer is the way we change is by our habits. See, the bottom of who we are as human beings is that we're lovers. We become what we give our attention to. And our love is shaped by our habits. You know, I thought about this and a few things came to mind. One is about UK football. I love UK football. I read a lot about UK football on the World Wide Web. I love to attend games. I love to talk about it with other UK football fans. And I began to think, um, what would make my passion wane for UK football? I think it would wane if I quit reading so much, if I quit going to games, if I quit indulging in conversation with other UK football fans. I think my love for UK football would begin to lessen. Or think about uh, uh, restaurants. I mean, my, my favorite restaurant, at least by a mile, uh, is County Club. I mean, RIP for now. Uh, there's a dish that they have called poutine, and if you get smoked meat on top of your poutine, it'll change your life. I began to think about County Club, um, and I began to see that the more I go to County Club, the more that I love County Club. Take working out. Uh, I, I, I work out at Orange Theory. Uh, working out's not one of my uh, favorite pastimes, but man, I really, really loved Orange Theory. And um, I've noticed that the more I go to Orange Theory, the more that I love it. R.I.P. Orange Theory, at least for now. But when we think about our habits, we think that they evidence what we love. Usually goes like this. I love County Club, so I go to County Club. But what if it works the other way? What if it is because I go to County Club, I love County Club? So our habits are not just effects, they are also causes. So if you want to change who you are, you have to change what you pay attention to. See, our habits, they do something to us. Our routines and rituals are constantly going to work on our hearts. They're directing our loves to conform to the world and its deities. Or our habits and our routines and our practices are transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And if they're conforming us into the world, I mean, it's likely what it means to be conformed to the world isn't that you begin to change uh, your, uh, your God like uh, you become an Allah worshiper or a Buddha worshiper. It's more likely that, at least in our culture, that we will become worshipers of shopping. We'll become worshipers of learning or working or comfort. And everything in our world is trying to get us to bow down to those deities. So what are your habits? If one of your habits is scrolling through social media feeds, what are those images telling you to love? Think about the people that you're around in a habitual kind of fashion. The things that the people you're around, the things that they love, if they love money and success or family, then you'll begin to love money, success, and family because you're around them habitually. If you begin to look at your daily, your weekly, your monthly, and your annual routines, you'll begin to find out what it is that you actually love. Uh, James Smith, a philosopher, theologian, he said, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. Your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. And the habits of our text, the habits that our text lays out, there's two of them. Did you see them? It's presenting your bodies 
and renewing your mind. These two habits, this is what the easy and light burden are all about. This is what it means to sit and listen. And one term that you could use for these habits, these practices, is the word spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines, if that's a new word for you, uh, just think uh, things like reading your Bible, going to church, and prayer. Those are spiritual disciplines. Now, I know for a lot of you, you begin to roll your eyes. Anytime you hear those, those three things put together, read your Bible, pray, go to church. And I get it. But, 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 but just give me a chance. You, you're going to see a, 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 little, um, a little diagram up there. You'll see a timeline. The timeline uh, has three points on it. It's got your birth, it's got your conversion to Christianity, and it's got your death. And this is what's true for all of us as Christians. And I want you to look at that, that, that point of your conversion, and it, it kind of uh, divides things to before you're a Christian, when you're an unbeliever, and then when you became a Christian, that you are a believer. So unbeliever and Christian. Now think about what is the message that, that, that non-Christians need to hear? What is it that non-believers need to hear? And what is the message that Christians need to hear? Well, of course, you're going to say, well, unbelievers, what they need to hear is they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that Christ has died to forgive them of their sins. And you're right. But what is the message that Christians need to hear? What would you say? What would you say is the most important thing for them to hear? And, and usually you, you, your answer is likely words like they need to learn to serve. They need to learn about personal holiness. They need to learn about spiritual disciplines. But I'd like to take those three words and wrap them all up into a package. And I want to call that package discipleship. So whatever we come up with, we can usually call discipleship. I'm not anti-discipleship. But usually when we think about discipleship, we think about rules. And some of us are really good at rules, aren't we? I mean, some of us are type A kind of folks. And it works. Type A folks have a lot of willpower. They're ready to use it. But eventually, whether you're type A or not, your willpower is going to run out. And what are you going to blame? Well, you're likely to blame those practices, the spiritual disciplines, your discipleship, your discipleship regimen. You're going to say, that's wrong. It didn't work. It was ineffective. But the problem wasn't what you were doing. The problem is that you were working with the wrong message. See, the message that you needed to hear is the same message that unbelievers need to hear. You need to hear grace. You didn't need to hear a bunch of rules. See, grace is the great motivator. The same grace that saves you is also the grace that trains you. Think about this passage. The very first phrase of this passage, Romans chapter 12 Verse 1 starts with, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God. And the author here is Paul, and he's been expounding uh, this whole list of God's mercies to his people. And let's look at a few of them from chapters 1 to 11. We'll start in chapter 3. Chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they're justified by his grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's God's mercy to us, that there's actually a way for us to God through Jesus. 
because he died for us. Let's look at the next mercy, Romans 4. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Not his works are counted as righteousness, but his faith. That's God's mercy to the Romans and to us. Look at Romans 5. For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us. That's his mercy to us, that he sent his son. Look at Romans chapter 6. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. God's mercy. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's God's mercy. So you take Romans and it's just one long string of pearls of God's mercy to his people. And so when you hear of God's great love for you, you want to practice the disciplines, not out of guilt, not because there are a list of rules, but you want to practice them out of love. See, God's love for you is what sparks your love for him. I remember watching a video of a mother with her baby. And when the mother in the video at the beginning, uh, she's, uh, she's lit up. Her, 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 she's got her smile going for her. She's laughing with the baby. She's touching the baby's hands. And the baby's responding to her with glee. The, the, the baby is, um, is lit up with love for her mother. But then the mom stops. She turns her back to the baby. She turns back around to the baby. And when she looks at her baby this time, there is no smile. She's not harsh with the baby. She doesn't yell at the baby, but she's just flat. And the baby at first looks confused. And after a while, the baby begins to kick and scream, trying to get her mother's attention, trying to wake her mother up. See, when the mother's posture towards her baby is that of love, the baby can't help but respond in love. But when the mother is cold towards her baby, the baby can't respond and love back to her mother. See, if you're in Christ, it is impossible for God to go cold on you. It's impossible for him to frown at you. No matter how little you've practiced the spiritual disciplines, and no matter how unfaithful you've been in practicing the spiritual disciplines, you need to know that you are guaranteed nothing but God's smile. And that's an essential truth as we seek transformation. I think it's summed up really well in a poem by John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress. Here's what he writes. Run, child, run, the law commands, but it gives neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. So yes, the gospel does have the power to save you but it also has the power to train you. It has the power to train you in the disciplines we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. We're going to talk about the disciplines of Sabbath, of silence, of simplicity. And you're going to be really tempted to get your chisel of willpower and your hammer of effort, and you're going to go to work at yourself, chipping things away to make yourself new, to bring about change. But it's not going to work. 
Instead, you've got to tap into a much greater power. You've got to allow God to use his chisel of grace and his hammer of mercy to make you a new person. See, that's why in verse 2, transformation is passive, that we don't transform ourselves, but it says be transformed because God is the one doing the work. But just because God's the one doing the work isn't, doesn't mean it's going to be really easy. Reminds me of Hebrews 4.11. Hebrews 4.11 says that we strive to enter that rest. And the rest is the one that's ours because Christ has done all the work for us. We have to strive to enter it. There is a yoke about this kind of life. It's difficult. It's difficult to slow down. Rest is not natural. Being frantic is. There is a cost to this kind of life, but there's a greater cost to not following after Christ. There is a burden about it, but it's one that's easy in life. See, transformation does not happen by accident. It's going to take intentionality. See, we've got to remember that these disciplines, this renewal of the mind, the presenting your body as a living sacrifice, the sitting, the listening, the spiritual disciplines, they're they're not ends in themselves. If they are ends in themselves, then you're going to end up weary and heavy laden. But if they're a means, if they're a means to a greater end, the end of being with the most peaceful, loving, joyful person who's ever lived, then we can press on. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus is in the same place he was last week. Last week, he didn't say, come after me. He said, come to me. Let's pray. Father, we do want to be with you. Lord, give us the desire. Help us to frame these things in gospel categories and not in ones that provide for us a righteousness. Lord, we know that the only righteousness we have is from you. Grow our faith in that. In Christ's name, amen.